Economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show. I'm producer Jason Dawes, and here with me are our hosts, Dr. Russ McCullough and Dr. Levi Russell, and my fellow graduate assistant, Jacob Michael. Okay, so today we wanted to talk about the USDA recently moved two of their rather large uh, components, the Economic Research Service and the National Institute for Food and Agriculture, from the D.C. area all the way to Kansas City, which is uh, very Woo-hoo! close to, to where we are. Yeah. Yes, um, bring it, bring it home, bring it to, bring it to God's country. That's and, right. <laughs> and so, uh, what I wanted to talk about was talk about maybe some of the discussion that's going on uh, with people that that I know from my former career, kind of in the in the USDA inside of that, the discussion they have had, and then maybe talk about some of the broader issues with you know, efficiency, and then maybe uh, bring in some moral components as well after the break. But I also wanted to say that Russ is joining us from South Africa right now. So if there's noise issues that, uh, you know, part of that's just because we're, I don't know, 5,000 miles away or something like that, right, Russ? X miles in seven hours. So yeah. Long way. (laughs) Yes. So I have a, a blog post about this, which I'll put in the show notes. And I, it was kind of interesting to read some of the discussions around uh, this issue because I think this is potentially just one of many moves um, from several agencies from D.C. out to other parts of the country that will be happening in the future. I mean, obviously not every agency is, you know, completely uh, housed in the D.C. area. In fact, a lot of the USDA is spread all over the country. And I think I've mentioned that in previous episodes. Um, The Farm Service Agency uh, they have an office in pretty much every county in the country. So there certainly is some distribution of this, but, you know, those aren't the very high paid jobs that we're talking about with these these particular arms of the USDA that have just been moved. Those These are going to be lots of people with PhDs um, and stuff like that. And so one of the big concerns, I guess we'll start off by talking about some of the concerns that people in the organization had. You know, obviously they're used to living in D.C. That's where they want to live. Maybe there's some things about D.C. that they really like. I can't imagine what it would be because, honestly, I, I don't even <laughs> want to even visit there. But, but it's a very expensive city um, and stuff like that. And so one of the reasons to have everybody there in D.C. is some kind of a sort of efficiency from agglomeration. You know, so, like, we get this idea that, you know, in that, that cities are really nice because everybody's all together and, you know, there's all these sort of knowledge spillovers and everybody can kind of, you know, work together and it's very short travel from location to location. Um, you know, everything's really efficient, right? And, and especially with these agencies, right, you've got, you know, these policy analysis and, and, and grant making organizations within the USDA and they're located really close to all these other organizations in DC that fund projects or, you know, legislators bureaucrats and different people like that and they can all kind of come together and meet very efficiently and one of the complaints about this move was oh my gosh we're going to lose you know all of this efficiency from having all these people located in one place um, and so I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about that and uh, and see maybe what Russ and uh, Jacob and Jason have on their minds about that sort of thing. 
Well, uh, I was reading a little bit about it too. And I think another thing that's really going to hurt kind of their internal workings is they have over 50% of people that are engaged, don't want to do the transfer or they've turned it down. So I'm mean, they're going to have to find a bunch of people in Kansas city too to even fill those roles. So I think it's going to be pretty good oh, learning. Darn, here. darn. Oh no. Darn. Well, I'm just people saying, in DC you know, will be disappointed for a little while. <laughs> Boo hoo. <laughs> I just mean from like the getting kind of back to where they running it how it is you know it's going to be if half the people are brand new that's going to be a pretty significant change well and they're they're going to be different people that was one of the things too is like you know they, they're assuming that the way it's set up now is that all the really smart people who want to work for the ers and will do a really good job they all want to live in dc mm-hmm. and so it's like well you know maybe some of them don't want to live in dc right maybe some of the smartest people in the sort of ag econ world um, are at the universities around the country you know in montana and all these other places that the, the uh, average DC uh, person wouldn't want to touch, right? Didn't you touch about that a little bit on the blog yeah. post? Talking rural, about rural, how, uh, rural minded people, rural minded people might uh, not want to live in those areas, and and uh, those might be some people that we'd want in those policy type positions. Yeah, so I think that kind of spills over into my discussion of of maybe talking about effectiveness too, right? So. Maybe what we lose in efficiency from all this discussion of, oh, everybody needs to be close to each other um, and all that sort of thing, maybe, maybe what we get in, in replacement for that is a lot more effectiveness of the agency itself. Mm. You know, so, for instance, NEFA does a lot of, funds a lot of projects surrounding you know, alleviating hunger and improving agricultural efficiency. Right? Well, D.C., you know, the, the unemployment rate in D.C. is practically zero, right? And there's almost no agriculture, you know, around there. So why would you locate the people who are going to be running those programs in a place where there is no, you know, there's very little issue with hunger Mm -hmm. and there's almost no agriculture at all. And so maybe they would be more effective in a place where, you know, they can get some of these agglomeration efficiencies with actual people who they're trying to serve. Um, And the same thing with, with ERS, right? ERS's job is to basically look at the agricultural economy in the, st- in the, in the country and, and sort of do analysis about land values and production practices and stuff like this. Well, I mean, heck, how do you do all that from your office in DC? I don't know if anybody else wanted to comment on that. Well, I mean, I was actually just kind of thinking how that work, how, how does that work? Do they just pass it down through localized networks? Well, I, I mean, what do you mean? How does that work? How does what work? Specifically? Well, so what is it? ERS that they, yeah. they, they, yeah, the Economic Research Service. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so they're, they're basically writing reports about the state of the economics of agriculture in the oh, country. Oh, I got you. I got right? you. Right. And so what's the one that passes out the floor that, that yeah, allocates that's funds? NIFA. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think that's a good example of, you know, NIFA, those NIFA people would be closer to places where, that, that are just, you know, in middle America, where they're learning about how, you know, food banks and, and other organizations like this are actually dealing with problems, right? right. Whereas uh, rather than being in the 10 richest counties in the country, you know, which are all around DC, um, you know, it just seems like an odd place to be worried about hunger. You know? Right. Um, not that there aren't poor people in DC. There very much are, but I, I just think that's a, a something that, that can be potentially offsetting, you know, maybe there are some efficiency problems, but, and that could be the people themselves, right? That, 
you know, all those, all these, you know, people that love to live in DC, they're all working really well together, but then they're sacrificing some effectiveness because they're not in, uh, they're not in a great location. Um, so I, I think what's interesting too, is maybe we're looking at, you know, the, the, the spot they chose, you know, Kansas city, obviously there's a lot of different types of agriculture in this area. And I, I wonder if, if you guys have any ideas for like other agencies that are, that are probably very much housed in DC that could be moved other places that might, uh, that might fit along this sort of effectiveness versus efficiency kind of perspective. Just let the municipalities make all the decisions. Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, I think, I think that's a good point because I think it's one of these things where it can be kind of a step in that direction. Right. Mm, yeah. Cause it's sort of More like decentralized. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how, how housing and urban development HUD, right? Uh, and Ben Carson heads up kind of come, it was the first thing that came to my mind that might be similar, you know, how, how, how much does Washington DC really represent, you know, the rest of the country, right. but you know, before, before we go too deep on that with, you know, with today's travel and other things, you know, can you keep your, thumb on the heartbeat of the rest of America when you are living in DC. I mean, I, I think that's part of what we're arguing. I could hear some people pushing back on that, but as a people person myself, I tend to think that it is important to be in the, the place uh, you're representing. So I, I think the USDA being in the heartland area certainly makes a little bit more sense. I also fear that some of these bureaucracies that we have might feed on each other in the sense that it's easier to become disconnected from potentially those who you're serving when you're listening to other people dealing in other bureaucratic areas. So as you were saying with agglomeration, the spillover effects that might happen at the neighborhood coffee shop or the neighborhood restaurant mm-hmm. and people are you know telling their anecdotal stories about what happened and what how they think things should happen in their department and and how they're greasing the wheels on you know some some sort of deal and and uh, I think that mentality might tend to uh, build on itself and that might not always be healthy either right, and, so and fear it's just a a hunch of mine that well but but i think it makes a ton of sense from a public choice standpoint right because it's like if if we're all sort of seeking these efficiencies you know and we see them in good ways like you know all these researchers all in one spot kind of working off of each other for the research part well why wouldn't they if if it's in their economic interest to also become you know sort of better lobbyists or whatever better better political entrepreneurs then why wouldn't we expect those skill sets to become more efficient as well? I think that's a great point. Right? Yeah, I think so. And I think being a little disconnected might not be all that bad or if they are in the heartland and closer to the people that they, they might be serving. So, Jason, did you have any thoughts on any of this? Well, living in the Kansas City area and doing a little bit of research online, uh, it kind of makes me wonder what, what that means for the Kansas City area job market and specifically like if you look at the housing market in Kansas City which is like booming right now and if you that where there's going to be so many job positions opening up in Kansas City I kind of wonder what that would mean for just the general area 
Well, I think looking at the, the one I know more about is ERS. I mean, they're basically going to be hiring a bunch of people like me. And I was looking just, I was just that's, curious. That's scary. That, that might not be for the Kansas city here. <laughs> well, yeah. That might be uh, that might be another effect there, but, but basically what I mean is a bunch of people with PhDs in sort of the agriculture and food area and especially in economics. And you know, the, I was looking at when I was writing my blog post, I was looking online at they have some of the jobs posted already cause they're going to have to hire. I talked to one guy um, who I know uh, who just got a job there. And he's, he said they're going to be hiring a hundred people over the next year or so with skill sets like mine. And so they were, I think it's the GS 13 level and the GS 12 level. So we're talking about people being paid somewhere between 75 and $115,000 a year. And so, I mean, these are relatively well-paying jobs, Um, people that are highly educated. And so I think that probably that kind of middle tier of the market for housing and stuff like that is probably really going to get boosted I would guess I mean you know not the upper tier of Kansas City I mean good grief those people make hmm. a couple million a year or something like that but the the mid-range of houses I'm sure will will spike even more and I, and I that, that's the thing too is I don't know exactly which location they were choosing they had a couple locations in Missouri and one in Kansas City that they were looking at and so I'm not I'm not exactly sure where this is going to end up and it's, I mean so you know it's really far downtown you know a lot of those kind of more apartment style living you know, those kind of slick apartments and stuff like that might see a, a boost. But well, as far that's as... A, that's where ultimately, <laughs> yeah, they, they are trying to put all of the employees in one building, though, I assume, correct? Yeah, they oh, were... Really? One of the things that was... The, the problem was that they were trying to find a building big enough that could house ERS and NIFA, all the employees they were moving. Because they're not moving the entirety of both agencies. They're moving most people from both agencies. But yeah, they were looking at... I think they were looking at like one of Sprint's old buildings, I believe. And, and there was one in Overland Park they were looking at. Oh, yeah, the Sprint campus. Right. Yeah. yeah so, I mean, it's you interesting know. when you look at the large companies in Kansas City, how they, they kind of outgrow their buildings pretty frequently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we're talking about, you know, 500 employees was, was the number they were talking about. And I don't know if that includes, you know, like support you know, staff or the, you know, janitorial and food and all that too, or if it just, if they were just referring to, you know, the, you know, the, the, the sort of research work, uh, but it was about 500 and some 500 or so employees. You know, but in the, in the grand scheme of things, 500 employees is still relatively small to the overall market. So in terms of the, I, it, if I remember correctly, I mean, it doesn't, you know, some of the bigger companies are in the thousands of employees. So, yeah. you know, to add 500, $100,000 a year jobs in terms of the impact on the housing market and other things. I, I don't think that's going to be, I don't think you're going to notice it in a large way. So, and yeah, that'll think, be dispersed through the metro area. So, but I think one of the other things too is that what, what you might also see is, you know, some interesting shifts with, you know, with the new airport coming into Kansas City and with the, you know, all the expansion and sort of the travel to that spot, you know, because there'd be a lot of people coming from other places to Kansas City, uh, you know, to meet with those people in, you know, I mean, this, this goes to some of the efficiency stuff, right? So, I mean, there's probably going to be, you know, potentially a little bit of a bump in airport capacity or excuse me, not airport, but uh, like hotel capacity or maybe meeting spaces and stuff like that. I don't know. I mean, it depends on how heavily, how heavily traffic they are there. And if the existing structure of, you know, meeting spaces and hotels can, can just absorb them or not. 
Well, I mean, in general, my gut feeling is that spreading out some of the concentration in Washington, D.C., I think is a good thing. I don't think that those agglomeration economies from a public choice perspective are, you know, helping us that much. I think that would be the argument. But right. when we start with the, the look of how government has grown over time, and frankly, I was a little bit disgusted when I, <laughs> when I visited Washington, D.C. two, three years ago, and the economy at that time wasn't doing great. It was still kind of flat. Maybe this was four years ago now. I can't remember. But And there was construction cranes everywhere in Washington, D.C. <laughs> I'm like, yep. you've got to be kidding me. The economy's flat, but yet yeah. D.C. is bustling. You know, there, that might be a sign of a problem. So I think in terms of the country's direction of, in, in my humble opinion, moving things pushing things down into the, you know, states and, and trying to uh, keep some of the centralized power minimized. I guess in my humble opinion, this sounds like a good, good start. So, yeah. Well, I think that's a good place to take a break. And I think maybe on the other side, what we'll do is talk a little bit about some of the, maybe a little bit more of the moral component and maybe we'll dig in a little more on what you were talking about there, Russ, with, you know, is it, is it right to have all of this, all of this stuff stuck in one spot and, and maybe some of the things that, 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 that could, could improve if we actually move them. So. Please visit our website at 123povertysucks.org. There you will find our events, blog, and our swag shop. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at 123povertysucks or on Facebook at Gortney Institute for updates on our activities and research. The Gortney Institute at Ottawa University is the best place in the Midwest for students interested in freedom and justice and its impact on human flourishing, faith and economics in action. If you or someone you know is looking for a college like that, contact Levi or Russ today. If you enjoy our podcast and want to support our work, please consider a one-time or recurring donation. Please visit donate.123povertysucks.org. Okay, so we're back, and um, I thought I'd lead off. I, th I think this is a bit of a stretch, but I'm going to do it anyway because that's how I roll. So Luke 10, uh, 30 through 37 is the Good Samaritan uh, parable. And, and uh, like I said, this might be a little bit of a stretch, but my point with our Washington, D.C. stuff and having people concentrated is that can we really come upon – somebody in the same way if we're detached uh, geographically. And so we've got a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by, two, by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away and leaving him for dead. I'm going to skip a little bit ahead here. The priest comes by, passes over him. A Levite comes by, passes over him. And then a 
Samaritan comes and uh, he helped him out. So my only point with that this verse kind of came to mind was, is there something to be said about being in the place of where we were doing this help and, and so having people both from an intellectual standpoint and maybe just a physical standpoint being concentrated in one place in the United States, are we really able to serve people the way we hope that the government's there as a safety net, like this particular fellow who uh, got attacked by robbers and stripped him of his clothes and beat him? Um, I think that's part of our protection of property rights that we have the government in place for, whether that be uh, by police function and court function and, and other things. With these programs that we have that have elevated to the level, which is kind of a different topic, but uh, elevated to the level at which they are uh, with the federal programs, are they really able to serve us in the best way possible? So I don't know if you all have any thoughts on that, but that was the first thing that came to my mind. Yeah, I think that ties into the effectiveness thing quite a bit. And I mean, I, I think there's, it's worth saying that the federal government does have a lot of people in a lot of different places. And, and you know, they do have, you know, sort of local, to an, to an extent, you know, local government or state government people employed enforcing their laws and, in, in, in other words, enforcing federal laws and, and, and stuff like that. I mean, I think of the EPA, you know, the EPA basically a lot of their stuff is enforced at the state level and a lot of the actual welfare programs we're talking about, you know, those are all kind of delivered with some kind of a local office. Right. And we even get, you know, people complain whenever they shut down one of these locations that, that is servicing, you know, that is servicing a need somewhere for welfare or something like that. But, but the funny thing is, is like, it's, it's never done with some of these other types of federal offices that, you know, maybe, collecting information rather than dispersing things. Right. And so to me, this seems like there's a disconnect there that, that I think you're right. I think it, I think it does impede service to an extent. Yeah. And I mean, I think the pushback could be, well, are we any better off by pushing this office to Kansas city? Right. I mean, then we're missing out on boots on the ground on in DC perhaps, or, you know, other places. So but at least we're where agriculture is more concentrated, I guess would be the flip side of that. Right. Well, and I, and I think the thing is, is I think this some, somewhat goes back to the old argument, you know, do you want the government to be efficient or inefficient? If it's efficient, then people don't notice when it does things wrong, right? Um, like, <laughs> for instance, I mean, you know, just collecting your income tax out of your check every month or whatever, you know, that's very efficient. But it also kind of lets them get away with probably more than they otherwise would, right? Because if you're having to write a check every quarter for your income taxes, like everyone who owns a business does, you know, maybe you might not think about that, you know, in such a positive manner, right? So, you know, if these federal federal programs and stuff like this are, are out where they can be seen a little more, well, maybe, you know, people will be more aware of what's what's actually happening. Yeah, I think it's maybe important for our listeners to really think about the word efficiency. I guess I've often taken it for granted, um, you know, and, and so a couple different ways to look at it is the number of units of output, like what does the government do in terms of number of services and, uh, versus as, as a ratio of, of the number of units of input, right? So if you've got 10 hours in a day and you can produce 100 basketballs, you're more efficient if you can do 110 basketballs 
with that 10 hour same time frame. Right. And so I think the argument here is can the government use the resources in Kansas City in a more effective manner so that they're more productive, they're more efficient, they're getting more out of the scarce resources that we have uh, at the government level. And so it's always that tension between people within the bureaucracy potentially arguing, oh, we just need more money. If we could expand and hire another person, Mm -hmm. we could be more productive or we could serve people better with more people. Um, And so the government doesn't have the same checks and balances that the private uh, sector has where there's always competition that are keeping people in check. It's like, oh, we can't seem to sell as much as company A, and so we need to step up our game and you know, you're going to have to put in extra time or you're going to have to, we're going to have to rearrange our job duties and our process that we have at our company to streamline things. There's just that, there's not that same level of pressure at the government level. And the answer too often is just to say, we need more money. And uh, that, I I think the evidence is pretty clear. Uh, The growth of government in the United States, especially from the 1960s, but certainly you could date it back to the Great Depression era uh, through today, has been a hockey stick. Uh, If you look at the exponential growth of of government spending over that time frame. Yeah, and I and I wonder too if you know some of that the the notion of growth of government and stuff like that has something to do with them all being located in one spot, which I mean we've kind of already touched on. Yes, but you know I I think. I think, you know, another Bible verse that comes to mind is is in Romans. So give to Caesar what is Caesar's, right? So if you sort of take that literally, right, that it's like, you know, you're supposed to be giving to the sovereign, you know, what is owed to them. Um, but I think, you know, so if you take that literally, well, then, you know, it obviously makes sense that on the other end, the, the sovereign owes you good governance, right? And so I, I mm-hmm. just feel like it, it can't really be considered good governance if, you know, if we're just creating this, uh, like you were talking about, Russ, you know, this giant, super rich financial center <laughs> in D.C., yeah. you know, I, I just, I don't th- I think that sort of pushes against justice to have them all located in that one spot. So, Well, and I've thought about that verse a lot, but you just made me think of another thing that uh, when Jesus said that, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, it's kind of like in that particular moment, that point of time, if you will, the law is what the law was. And so if, let's say, tax dollars were owed to Caesar, at that moment, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Of course, it was just a coin at the time. But my point with that is that as you move into the future, there's nothing said there that you can't participate in trying to, let's say, change the government and make it become more accountable reduce government spending, become more efficient, blah, 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 blah. And so I I think, um, I don't think that verse says that we can turn a blind eye, like, oh, don't worry about the government. You know, Mm -hmm. the government's going to be what the government's going to be. God gave the government to keep order and blah, blah, blah. I don't think that's saying that you can't participate in trying to challenge the government to be more efficient. Well, I, I think that's probably a good place to stop in terms of our time. So unless anybody has any other comments, I think we'll probably go ahead and wrap it up there. That sounds good. It's uh, getting late here in South Africa, so yeah. <laughs> I, uh, uh, not our normal time zone. And 
it's been some wonderful experiences down here. And so on, uh, on behalf of the Gortney Institute, we appreciate you all for listening. And if you feel so inclined uh, and you like what we're doing, please uh, subscribe and tell your friends about it uh, to grow to grow our base. And uh, we hope that you have uh, fruitful futures and think about the government and uh, whether it's you're getting everything out of it that you think you can and should. And, and don't be afraid to hit the voting box and to be uh, active in those uh, public issues. So on behalf of everyone here, be fruitful and multiply. Thanks. <laughs>